6: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Moss Show, where each and every week we talk about, of course, the decentralized revolution, but you know that by now. Of course, we talk about the way the world is changing, looking at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. Those three things together are the driving forces for what the world is going through. Of course, the um, financial system is uh, cratering, collapsing all around us. Uh, the political system, of course, is uh, breaking down, And then we have the introduction of new technology. That is, of course, what changes the world as we know it. And so we look at it through the lens of that so we can kind of really see this play-by-play. It's important to understand it from that level, what I would like to call signposts, because you don't know when a market's topped or a market's bottomed until you're looking backwards. When you're living through it at the time, you don't realize that. You also don't realize it when a society has peaked (laughs) or a new one has started until you're looking backwards on it. When the Roman Empire collapsed, they didn't know the Roman Empire had collapsed. As a matter of fact, the Roman Empire thought there was still a Roman Empire for quite a while, hundreds of years, uh, but only now historians actually pinpoint the date of the Roman Empire collapse. And so Typically, you don't understand it as you're going through it, and also these things take time. They take a long time to happen, and so um, on a daily basis, it's kind of like the frog in the in the in the boiling pot of water, the proverbial uh, boiling pot of water, that you don't really notice these incremental changes, but if you want to navigate this properly, then it's un, it's important to understand uh, what's happening so you can navigate this properly, and, and it helps to have this big, drawn-out viewpoint, and of course, that's what we talk about each and every week. Um, Bitcoin, uh, cryptocurrencies, which is technology that's actually driving this change um, at a point when the world is already moving in that direction. Of course, we've talked about this on a 250 year timeframe, the political world is moving. Now, I'm not gonna go super deep into that. But today, I want to spend some time to break down a couple of stories, uh, new stories that have come out in the last week that really are really heavy, what we call signposts that show what's happening. Now, what happens is if you've uh, ever heard of the book, The Fourth Turning, if you haven't, I would recommend checking it out. Uh, the book it's called The Fourth Turning, and it highlights an 80-year cycle. Now, I like to look at a 250-year cycle, but um, really it's an 84-year cycle. Three times 84 equals 252. So, um, every third cycle is the big one. But if you understand just one of these smaller 80-year cycles as highlighted by the book, The Fourth Turning, they talk about it in four 20-year periods. And the fourth one, the fourth 20-year period, the end of the 80-year period is where all the change happens. And so uh, you've probably heard the quote Vladimir Lenin said that there's decades where nothing seems to happen. And then there's days where decades seem to happen. And that part specifically right there is what he's talking about at the fourth turning. That's where all the change happens. And that's basically what we're living through right now. A lot of people who are up on this theory, it's also called generational theory. Um, And so you might have heard the saying like, uh, hard times create strong men, strong men create great times, great times, create weak men, and weak men, bad times now bad times create strong men and so it's a cycle it's a cycle um, to illustrate this to kind of put it into terms my grandfather grew up on a farm in Iowa um, he was a farmer he was the probably the hardest working man I could have ever imagined living on the land living on the farm while today many people think of it as like this fairy tale experience it's not <laughs> like to grow your own food and uh, sew your own clothes and I mean everything you have to do uh, build your own house I mean it's insane amount of work and so he was the hardest working man ever. My dad, the second generation, grew up on the farm. And my father uh, is also like the hardest worker I've ever seen in my life. My father, um, when I was a kid, I would still go to the farm when my grandfather lived there. And my, my father would be loaned out. My grandfather would actually loan my father out like to other neighbors to help them with their crops. I mean, that's just how they did it back then community was super important to them, but they worked super hard, you know, planting the fields and bringing in the harvest and managing the cattle and all those things. But my father left the farm. He didn't want to be a farmer. As a matter of fact, none of my dad's uncles, uh, aunts wanted to take over the farm. And so they all left and my dad became a construction worker and he was the hardest man I've ever, hardest working man I've ever known. I remember at one point, um, towards the end of his career, I asked him, I'm like, Man, don't you just want to take a vacation? Uh, I'm all about like traveling all over the world and taking vacations and going on surf trips. And I'm like, don't you want to take a vacation? And he said, no. <laughs> He's like, no, I don't. I just, I just work. Like, and that was so shocking to me. But it really illustrates the point. But the point is, is my father, my grandfather was the hardest working man ever on the farm. The next generation, my father, left the farm. He didn't want to work that hard, although he in my opinion, was still an amazing hard worker, but not as hard. I visited the farm when I was a kid, and I was forced to go work construction with my dad when I was a kid. And that built an amazing work ethic in me, so I'm a really hard worker, but nowhere near like my dad, nowhere near like my grandfather, third generation. And now my kids, the fourth generation, (laughs) I can't even get them to clear the, the dinner table. I mean, that's how weak they are. And so the great times that have been created in me has now created a weak generation, which I'm not super happy to say. Sorry, kids, if you're listening. No, don't worry, we're going to get you shaped up. Uh, But that's kind of highlights this generational theory. And that's part of the reason why we see these cycles as they go through. Another illustration would be Germany. Look at Germany after World War II. Uh, The entire country was bombed out, was destroyed, right? Broken down. And then they had to pay reparations. They had to pay back a lot of this money, which is part of the reason why they went broke. We had hyperinflation in Germany. Uh, People were so poor in Germany, they were literally burning money in the fire because it was cheaper than burning wood, which... Um, history doesn't repeat, it rhymes or kind of repeats. And as a matter of fact, <laughs> I put out a tweet, I think yesterday, and I said, uh, the prices of elect of, of energy have gone up so high in Germany over a 1000%. Um, and I put out a picture of the chart on Twitter. And I said, um, at this rate, I think Germans might, it might be cheaper to burn money than it will be wood. And that's not it was, it was kind of said tongue-in-cheek, but it was actually, you know, the best jokes have truth in them. If you're not following me on Twitter, by the way, please do. Check it out at Twitter, at 1MarkMoss, just the number one, at one Moss on uh, social media. Instagram, Twitter, hit me up on social media. Let me know you're listening and ask me a question. But And I put out good little tidbits of information like that. <clears throat> but Germany had these hard times. Their whole country was bombed out. They had to pay this massive amount of debt back. <clears throat> they, they had hyperinflation. Uh, they couldn't survive. They were burning wood uh, money in their fireplace. It was cheaper than wood. But those hard times created really strong men. And then Germany rose from the ashes, and those strong men created great times. And Germany is known as the economic engine, the economic powerhouse of Europe because those strong men created such great times. But the problem is is those those great times created weak men. And those weak men have created really bad times. And as a matter of fact, those weak men have created such bad times for Germany that they're about to start all the way back over again and could be burning money in their fireplace because that's how bad off the country is through a series of bad decisions, bad investments because these weak men don't have any grounding in reality. They forgot what it really takes. So for example, they cut their work weeks down. Ah, we don't need to work 40 hours a week. That's ridiculous. Let's work less than 40 hours a week. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, you know what? We don't need energy. We're going to come up with this fake renewable energy. We'll just get all our energy from unicorns and rainbows and solar panels and windmills. Mm, except for it doesn't work that way. And now they have no energy, which is why their energy prices are up a thousand percent, and they're about to freeze to death this winter. And so those those, those strong men created weak, uh, great times. Those great times created weak men. Those weak men created bad times, and that's where they're at. And unfortunately, they have to get through this, but I believe these hard times will create... Strongman again. All right, so that's kind of how this works. But what I want to talk about today is something bigger than that. I want to talk about some new stories that happened today so you can see these signposts. And I'm going to lay out where I think the world is going, how it's going to change over the next two to eight years and what you should be doing about that. We're going to look at it uh, from um, a singular polar world to a multipolar world. We're going to look at it from a political standpoint, a money standpoint, an energy standpoint. And I'm even going to give you some steps and some tips of what I'm doing to protect myself and navigate through this and stuff that you can do as well. So i got a whole lot to cover. By the way, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Of course, we're talking about the decentralized revolution each and every week through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. Of course, that technology is Bitcoin. Cryptocurrencies is changing the world as we know it. And while the world is scary and it's dangerous and it's uncertain, if you navigate it correctly... It could be amazing, which is my goal for, of course, me and my family, and it's my goal for you as well. So, listen to the Mark Moss Show. We'll be back in a minute with more. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
2: Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms.
0: My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant.
4: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show and we have a big show for you today. So it's a good day to join in. Good day to jump in. We're, of course, each and every week, we talk about the decentralized revolution, the way the world is changing right before our very eyes. And I'm giving you the play-by-play, giving you the signposts of how that's working out. Uh, I'm not going to run through all that again, but we look at the decentralized revolution each and every week through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. Those three things, of course, the technology. We're talking about Bitcoin, the decentralized revolution that's happening. Now, Real quick about signposts. Um, if I was going to give you directions to my house, you don't know where I live, um, and I, but I'm going to give you directions. But I'm but I'm going to give you kind of basic directions. And so the directions would be like. Um, drive down this highway until you see this blue, um, barn and then turn right and then drive until you see this billboard and make a left and then drive until you see the old fence. And at the end of the fence, you're going to hang a right. And then at this, right. And I'm giving you these signs, signposts, but I don't tell you how long it's going to take you or how far it is in between each one of those. Right. But each time you see one of the signposts, you realize you're getting closer and closer, and closer. Now, you don't know how long the total trip's going to take you, but you know you're getting closer because you're checking them off. And eventually, you only have one or two signposts left, and you know you're getting very close. And so that's what we're talking about, a signpost. Each one of these news stories is a signpost to show you this is what's happening. This is confirming what we believe. Another way to look at it would be the way that like, uh, the CIA and the FBI do like risk assessment. And so what they would do is they'd say, hey, there's this event, um, we think there's these potential risks, we think there could be you know, this, this shooting or this bombing or whatever it may be. And so they'll put out these different risks and they'll say, if this is going to happen, then this, 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 and this would come true. But if this is going to happen, then it would be this, 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 and this would come true. And then what they do is they monitor the situation and they see which path we start to be going down. And then as as these things start getting checked off, they go, oh, this is the most probable outcome. And so that's also kind of what these signposts are as well. Is it shows us what the most probable outcome is based off of what these are. That's why it's super important for us to understand this. And then of course we can move and change and. Bob and weave, or whatever, to stay one step ahead. Now, I want to stay one step ahead with my money because not only do I not want to lose my money, I want to make more money. I also want to stay one step ahead for my freedom. I don't want to lose my freedom. I don't want to end up in a country locked down where I can't leave and I can't uh, do all the freedoms that, I, that I've grown, um, grown up being able to do in America. You know, like what's happened in Australia or in Canada. I don't want to get locked in a country locked down. And so I pay attention to these things for those reasons. Now, let's, let's, let's dig into a couple of them. So first off, uh, moving from a single, singular polar world to a multipolar world. So um, on a 250-year time frame, the world moves to centralization. And then it moved back to decentralization. I've done extensive talks on this. If you, I'm not going to dig deep into that. If you want to go more, go into my YouTube channel. Just search Mark Moss on YouTube and look at a playlist. And there's one on three cycles and there's a bunch of videos. And I break all this down in super deep detail. So just go to YouTube and search Mark Moss. Um, hit, me, hit me on social media, at one Mark Moss, and I'll send you links. Um, okay. Okay. So um, the world has been moving to the singular polar world, which of course is easy to understand. Uh, we have the World Economic Forum, the World Trade Organization, the World Health Organization, World Meteorological Association. We got the IMF, we got the UN, etc. And then we have the dollar, of course, which is the reserve currency of the world. Now, in 1944, at Bretton Woods Agreement, the you know most of the developed world got together and voted and agreed to have a one-world currency, where the dollar would be backed by gold. And then all the other currencies would be pegged to the dollar. So, vis-a-vis, they're all backed by gold. So the whole world agreed to that in 1944 to have this one world monetary system. And since 1944, the world's been moving more and more centralized. Like I said, the creation of the UN, creation of the IMF at that time, uh, creation of the EU, Creation of uh, the World Economic Forum, 1971. All these things have continued to push us closer and closer to centralization, a a singular polar world. But now that's all breaking apart, right? So we see this. So the Russia-Ukraine situation has really, really exaggerated this in a big way. And to the point now where we have Russia and China are kind of teaming up. In moving everybody, moving the rest of the world away from the United States grip, not just the United States grip um, on money, but even on global trade and things like that. Um, and so we see that now part of that is is what's being done through what's called the BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, BRICS and the BRICS nation stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa and the BRICS, the BRICS nations kind of have their own trade organizations and they kind of they work together collectively and what we've seen since the Russia situation partly because of what happened with Russia Russia decided to invade Ukraine and the you know the, the United States and NATO basically worked really hard to shut them down to sanction them to seize their bank accounts, freeze their bank accounts, um, and basically just wipe them out. Now, the only country that's allowed to actually go and aggressively you know, bomb other nations is the United States. The United States has uh, no problem dropping bombs in the Middle East uh, for decades. As a matter of fact, we spent $20 trillion doing just that over the last two decades um, in Afghanistan. Um, so the U.S. can do that. We can go drop bombs all day on people we don't know with drone strikes and whatnot. But if another nation does it, uh-oh, we got problems. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where we're at. That. Now, I'm not condoning that. I'm not a fan of violence. I think everybody should just stand down. Uh, I want to see the end of the giant nation state, which, of course, that's what we're witnessing right now. So I'm not condoning that, but that's what it is. Um, But because of that, once Russia had their bank account seized, then all the other nations are like, well, shoot, if they're a nuclear power, you know, they're one of three global superpowers and they have nukes. And if they can get their bank account seized, what hope do I have? And of course, the answer is none. They have no hope. And so that's why they're all like, well, shoot, we better band together and do something else. China and Russia have been working together exclusively. And so now these BRICS nations have been growing. More nations want to join the BRICS. And so we've seen um, earlier, a couple months ago, Iran and Argentina applied to become part of the BRICS nations. Now we have Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Turkey trying to become part of the BRICS nations. Now, Saudi Arabia has a very, very, very... Big and pivotal piece of this. And I'm going to break that down for you. Why Saudi Arabia? Of course, you probably know all of those nations I mentioned is where the world gets their oil. We're going to come back to that. So the BRICS nations are growing. Now, the BRICS nations today account for over half of the world's population. So more than half of the people alive in the world today are in part of these BRICS nations. Now, From a GDP standpoint, they're not the United States. The United States is, uh, is, uh, is amazing. The United States is amazingly blessed. I'm not super happy with the direction that the United States is going, but America, the piece of land, we are blessed by God. We have oceans on both sides of us. We have rivers that run throughout. We have the most arable land. We have the best land to grow food. We have all our own energy. We have the best climate. I mean, there's no other place on this earth like America, the North American continent, Um, but other nations still exist. (laughs) So they're still there. And as a matter of fact, like I said, more than half the world joins the BRICS nations. Now, what that's doing is that's breaking apart the singular polar world, and it's breaking it back into a multipolar world, at least into two, probably into three different kind of poles. Now, part of that is the people... But part of it is the money, and part of it is the energy. So I want to break those down for you a little bit. Now, big, big, big news happened on both those fronts. And where the money and the energy goes, which maybe money is energy, uh, where that goes, the rest of the world goes. I'm going to break that down for you. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Of course, we're talking about the decentralized revolution each and every week. I'm I'm going to break this down for you. I'm going to tell you what you should be doing about it and what's going to happen in the future. Get your pen and paper, and don't go away. I'll be right back.
4: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm
8: Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest love the connection to people i think at the core what i get excited about what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted unvarnished way is getting to to say something to them hear back from them know that i'm part of the routine and i look forward to getting on the air i look forward to it in these exciting times we're looking to the math the strategy and analytics and the magic the creative spark more than ever Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia
3: is your
6: access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we are talking about the same thing each and every week. The decentralized revolution, giving you the play-by-play, giving you the signposts of how the world is shifting from a singular polar to a multipolar world, looking at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. Of course, that technology is Bitcoin. Um, and it's at a very interesting time when the financial system is crashing, the political system is changing, and then we have a new technology like Bitcoin. All right, so big news happened this week um, on the on the money front. So... Um, The dollar is the reserve currency of the world. But most central banks around the world still hold massive amounts of gold. Gold's been money for 5,000 years, and they want to hold gold. The problem with gold, and especially younger people today, they've kind of given up on gold. And part of the reason why they've given up on gold is, one, because the governments want people to give up on gold. In 1933, as a matter of fact, America made it illegal. Well, one, they stole. Yes, I'm using the word. The government stole. They seized Every American's gold, 1933, Act 6102. Then they made it illegal for Americans to own gold. It's insane. Of course, they gave it back. Um, we got the ability to own gold back, back in 1975, and now we can own gold. Cool. Congratulations. But they've, they've kind of tarnished it. They've kind of taken away the draw. So a lot of people look at gold and like, why the hell would I own gold? It doesn't even go up in value. Look, it, it barely even changes. Well, It doesn't lose value either, so gold's basically flat for the last two years, which is pretty good in a world where all the stock markets are down, real real estate's coming down, Bitcoin's gone down, but gold has still held its value, so that's pretty good. But what people don't realize is that the central banks are the ones buying it. The central banks have been adding more gold to their balance sheets over the last couple years than they have in any time in history since 1971, when we came off the gold standard. And so, but the problem is, is back to that price of gold. The price of gold is so heavily manipulated— that's part of the reason why people don't want to buy it. But the problem is, is that as more nations want to move to the gold, they want to get out of the dollar and move into gold instead. So instead of reserving their savings in dollars that could be seized, like what happened to Russia, they would want to store their wealth in gold. But the problem is, is the gold market's not really big enough to do that, as it is right now, unless the price of gold were to go up. So uh, right now, the gold market's about, you know I don't know, $10, $12 trillion, uh, of which only you know eight or nine of that trillion is held by central banks. But we need way more than that, but there's not enough gold for that. So the price of gold needs to go up to 5,000 an ounce or 10,000 an ounce or 50,000 an ounce, and then we could do that. But the problem is a group called the LBMA has been pushing that down. That stands for the London Bullion Market Association. And they've been rigging the price of gold for a long time in conjunction with the giant paper markets that we have in the United States. I'm talking about like the futures markets and things like that. Now, we've been seeing many people, especially JP Morgan, has been getting nailed. People have been going to jail for rigging the gold market. They do something called spoofing, where they're doing all these paper trades, meaning they're, they're, they're affecting, they're manipulating the price of gold um, by doing fake trades without ever having any gold in the first place, which is insane. Um, I could do a whole video just on that, but I'm not going to dive into that. But between the paper gold markets and the LBMA, London Bullion Market Association, they rig the price of gold and they hold it down. The price of gold is found every morning by a couple old guys getting on the phone and saying, hey, Joe, Jack, Bill, what do you think we should price the, what should we put gold out today? Uh, $17.50 an ounce? Sure. Okay, great. And they hang up. So there's no free market. There's no price discovery happening on there. So Russia doesn't like that. The BRICS nations don't like that. And they've announced um, a competitor to the LBMA. And they believe right off the bat, we could see the price of gold jump from about $1,750 an ounce to like $2,500 an ounce if they are able to pull this off, which I think they can. And they can pull it off because the nations of the BRICS are the ones that actually... Control the resources for gold. What do I mean by that? Um, the non-BRICS nations, the United States, etc., what they consider hostile nations, produce about twenty percent of the world's gold. Eh, not shabby. The non-BRICS nations, the U.S. and other hostile nations, about twenty percent of the world's gold. But the BRICS nations produce over sixty percent of the gold. So you'd almost think like, well, the nations that produce the gold. Um, should probably be the ones to set the price of gold because it's always supply and demand, and that's exactly the way they see it. So Russia is now working with all these BRICS nations to set up a brand-new financial system and a brand-new LBMA competitor. And everyone knows the LBMA is rigged. Everybody knows it's rigged. Everybody knows they suppress the price. Everybody hates it. But what are you going to do? How are you going to fix it? Well, if there's a competitor... Then you use the competitor, right? That's why we always need competition. Competition always brings better products, better service, better prices, always, which is why it's so important, which is why socialism, communism, fascism never works. All they want to do is monopolize, um, the, nationalize the means of production, take away all competition and just set the prices of everything. That's never going to work. We want businesses to compete. The LBMA is crooked, point blank. They're crooked. They manipulate the price of money. We need a competitor, and it looks like we're gonna have one. Now, if they break that, then they break the monetary system apart because the dollar, you know, these non-BRICS nations, London, who don't even produce any gold, and America setting the price. If they can take that away, then gold could find its own free price. If that happens, then a lot of people wanna move into gold and out of the dollars. Do you see how fast that could start to break things down? This is a big deal. Now, a lot of people want this. All the BRICS nations want this. Half the people in the world want this. I feel it could probably happen. Now, let's move on to energy for a minute. Same thing. What's happening with energy? Oh, well, the same thing as well. Now, energy, we cannot live without it, period, point blank. That's it. Without energy, we die. Now, if you live on a tropical island, you might be able to live without energy. Anywhere else in the world, you need air conditioning. You need heat. Uh, People die every day around the world because they don't have enough energy. We need it. We can't live without it. We can't transport stuff around, right? Well... That mostly comes from oil, fossil fuels still today. And the Saudi prince, Saudi Arabia, going back to Saudi Arabia, wanting to join the BRICS nations, um, Saudi Arabia controls the majority of the oil through what's known as the OPEC nations. And the Saudi Arabian um, energy minister, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, Sorry, if I pronounced that wrong, I'm sure I did. He said that extreme volatility and lack of liquidity means the future markets is increasingly disconnected from the fundamentals, and OPEC, which is the nations in the Middle East that control that, may be forced to cut production. So he came out and said basically the same thing. Look, you guys are manipulating the markets through all this paper trading, all this future future stuff. He says, quote, the paper and physical markets have become increasingly More disconnected. Now, he represents the largest oil producer in OPEC. It's arguably the most important player in the 23-nation alliance. And he's saying, look, this is a problem. Now, the reason why this is a really, really, really big deal, a lot of people don't understand this, is because, as I said, in 1944, under the Bretton Woods Agreement, the entire world agreed to be on a dollar-gold system. Dollar backed by gold, currencies of the world pegged to the dollar. All right. In 1971, when President Richard Nixon removed the dollar from the gold standard, why would anybody use the dollar if it wasn't backed by gold? Well, they moved to something called a petrodollar. You ever heard that before? Hit me up on social media. Let me know if you've ever heard of the petrodollar. Hit me up on social media at one mark moss. And so they had the they had the reserve currency of the world from 1944 to 1971. But then, like I said, once they severed the gold ties, then the nations are like, well, what the heck would I hold this fake paper gold paper money for if I can't redeem it for gold? And so they created the petrodollar. And since 19, since since then, since the creation of the petrodollar, that agreement was that Saudi Arabia would price all go- I'm sorry, all oil in dollars. And, of course, the whole world needs oil. And so if they want oil, they got to pay in dollars. And that is what's kept the dollar propped up. But if Saudi Arabia wants to jump ship, what's going to happen? I'm going to explain that and more where I think the world is going in the next couple of years and what I'm doing about it. You don't want to miss this next part. Coming up in a minute, you're listening to the Mark Ma Show, of course, talking about the decentralized revolution each and every week, explaining how the world is breaking apart and what we should be doing about it. Uh, so I'm going to cover that last part here. As soon as I come back, don't go away.
2: Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years.
4: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm
8: Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22.
6: It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness.
7: Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.
6: All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, of course, talking about the decentralized revolution each and every week. Talking about the way the world is changing through the lens of looking at it through politics, finance, and technology. And we look at it through the lens of those because that's how we see this changing. Now, we're talking about the dollar as the reserve currency of the world because it was backed by gold then it was backed by oil through the petrodollar agreement. Saudi Arabia agreed to always price oil in dollars. And because the rest of the world needed the oil, they would pay in dollars and they'd have to go collect these fake paper things and return them in exchange for oil, which made the dollar valuable. But the problem is is that um, that is all breaking apart. As a matter of fact, we have here, um, so the, the, the prince, the, one of the most powerful men in the Saudi Arabia um, oil market, he was speaking, Prince Abdulaziz, and he says that the paper oil market has fallen into a self-perpetuating vicious circle of very thin liquidity and extreme volatility, undermining the market's essential function of efficient price discovery. Um, He says, this vicious circle is amplified by the flow of unsubstantiated stories about demand destruction. That's a key key to hit on because what's the Fed trying to do? They're trying to destroy demand. They want you to be broke so you have no money to pay for things. Demand destruction. But he says, hey, this is amplified by unsubstantiated stories of demand destruction. Look, the world still needs oil. It ain't going away. You guys keep saying it's going to go away. It ain't going away. Um, And uncertainty about the potential impacts of price caps embargoes and sanctions. So that's what NATO is trying to do. They're trying to set price caps of how much people can sell oil for. Well, they're not going to like that. They're trying to do embargoes and sanctions. Of course, you hear about these sanctions happening all over the place. And so they don't like that. He says, uh, he said, soon we will start working on a new agreement beyond 2022, which will build on our previous experiments, uh, um, experiences, achievements, and successes. So what does he mean by that? Well, we saw that... um, Saudi Arabia is in active talks with Beijing, with China, to price some of its oil now in sells to China in its own currency, the yuan. So they said, hey, fine, we won't sell, we won't sell uh, oil in dollars anymore. We'll sell it in yuan. Um, it's accelerated this year as the Saudis have grown increasingly unhappy with decades-old U.S. security commitments to defend the kingdom. So the, the U.S. said, hey, as long as you always price stuff in dollars, we always got your back, which is why after the 9-11 happened, um, after the towers fell, you had President Bush sneaking all the royal members of the Saudi family out because of this, uh, this hidden agreement, and that's why. But now that that's breaking apart, now the U.S. doesn't want to back, their, back them anymore, they're like, okay, fine, then we'll go to Russia and China for protection, and we'll just sell it in, the, in yuan then. This is happening. This is happening right now. This is breaking apart. It says, he says, many sovereigns, including U.S.-aligned countries, have realized owning massive amounts of dollars led to an illusion of stability. Wow, big words. In any moment, a political decision could lead to the dollar reserve being frozen or seized. The Saudis, anticipating the shift, are starting to price crude oil in yuan in order to increase their trade surplus in yuan and reduce dollar holdings. Is happening. It's happening right now. And it starts happening really quick. Remember, we talked about that in the fourth turning, it happens really, really quick. So we've had this world over the last 80-90 years that that we've had increased global trade. We've had peace. Obviously, we had World War I, uh, World War II. Well, since, since World War II, so since 1944, we've had this period of peace. We've had this in, in, period of increased, increased global trade. We've had this period where we've had this monetary expansion. The population has expanded. And we've been able to, because of the global trade, we've been able to offshore jobs and make stuff cheaper in other countries, bring those other countries up out of poverty, and make things cheaper in the developed world. We've had this massive prosperity It's been what we call a long-term secular trend. So if you look at like the S&P 500 since 2008, it's been a long-term secular bull market. Now, within that long-term bull market, there's periods where it's gone down. We call those cyclical. So there's a small cyclical period within a long-term secular trend. But now I believe the long-term secular trend is shifting to go back the other way. So we've had the last 80 to 100 years of long-term bullish trend of more peace more globalization, more trade, right? More population, more monetary expansion. But what happens when the opposite happens? What happens when the world starts breaking apart and we don't wanna trade with each other anymore? What happens when the United States doesn't wanna police the oceans anymore and it's not safe to be shipping stuff around anymore? What happens when uh, the dollar gets broken? What happens when um, the gold market's broken? What hap- what happens when we don't offshore those jobs? Now we're onshoring everything. You've been seeing in the news. Um, now we're bringing we're onshoring jobs back, right? So now we're investing into microchips, for example. We're going to start building our microchips here. Well, as we bring all those jobs back to the U.S., which is a good thing in my opinion, because now we have jobs for people here, high-paying jobs. But it's going to make everything more expensive. So now we're going to go into this long-term um, secular trend of inflationary, as the world continues to break apart, multipolar world, multi-currencies, we don't want to trade with each other anymore, we're all trying to now onshore all our own manufacturing, less global cooperation, that's going to make things more expensive over the long run. That's exactly what's happening. And I think when you understand it from that pulled-out viewpoint, then it starts to make things on this lower time frame seem a little bit more clear. So, for example, this week, the Federal Reserve, uh, they are having their, the central bankers of the world are getting together in Jackson Hole, Wyoming to talk about what the central bankers are going to do to save things. Can they pull off a soft landing, so to speak? Can they thread the needle? Um, right? We talk about this all the time, the proverbial rock in the hard place. Inflation is raging, but if they don't keep pumping money in, then, then everything crashes. But if they do keep money pumping in, and inflation continues to rage. So, which one is worse? If inflation rages so high that people can't afford to eat, then they're going to riot and overthrow governments. But if the markets crash and people can't afford to eat, then they're going to riot and overthrow the governments. So, which one do they choose? Both of them end up, both choices end up in the same place with protests and people overthrowing the governments, which is what they don't want to happen. And so um, can they pull off a soft landing? And I think that is a completely false narrative. A soft landing would make you believe that they are in some you know modern fighter jet with a thousand switches and controls, and they can control the elevation, the altitude. They can control the nose, the tail. They can the the, the wings, the ailerons, the rudders, all these things that they have under their control. But that's not how it is at all. The Fed's more like flying a blimp, a hot air balloon. The only thing the Fed can do is adjust interest rates. So, like a hot air balloon, all you do is you can let hot air in and you can let hot air out. That's all you can do. They don't have rudders and ailerons. They don't have all these switches and controls. All they have is hot air, in or out. And what that means is the balloon can go up and down, but what about all the wind currents? If the balloon's coming down, where is it going to land? Well, it's going to land wherever the wind blows because all they can do... They can go up and down. And all the Fed can do is adjust that interest rate. And when we have this entire world, these bigger things happening, the whole world is breaking apart. Global trade is breaking down. Nations don't want to use the dollar anymore. Now they want to start trading in other currencies. Um, Ru- Russia and the BRICS nations want to break the gold market. Saudi and the OPEC nations want to break the paper markets on oil. What's the Fed going to do with their hot air? <sighs> They're not going to be able to do much. And so we have to understand that. Um, what happens is when a plane is going to crash, um, they have whatever altitude they have and plus whatever speed, and they have this glide path. And that glide path determines how far they can go before they have to land. And that's basically where we're at right now. We're on a decline path. We have to understand the glide path, and then we have to have a plan for that. Hopefully that that pulled-out worldview helps you. If you want to know more about that, I just did like this uh, whole presentation on what I'm actually doing about it with my money, what I'm buying and selling. You can go to just go dot one mark moss go dot one mark slash central dash bankers or just go to my website at one mark at one mark and you'll see a link to it um, and check that out I have like a full presentation on this specifically uh, and what I'm doing about it if you want to check out more on that go go look at it but hopefully that that uh, pulled out view helps you with some clarity because the world's changing It is not going to be the same as we've known it over the last hundred years. It's going to be broken apart. It's going to be multipolar. It's going to be multi-currency, multi-asset. And what you do about this could be the most important moves you've made in your life. So hopefully you choose well. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show, of course, talking about the decentralized revolution each and every week. I'll bring you more tips and tricks. That's what I got for you today. Thanks for listening.
2: Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket.